Welcome to the Gainesville Vineyard Podcast, featuring sermons given at our church and community center located in the Lincoln Estates neighborhood in Gainesville, Florida. If you find these messages beneficial, if you're part of our community, or if you want to help support the services we're providing to Southeast Gainesville, you can text the word GIVE to 352-562-7771 to make tax-deductible donations. Here's this week's message. Thank you, Joe and Rachel. That was lovely. I love that song. And you know, I didn't tell Joe and Rachel that I was going to do what I'm about to do, but it's really fitting because you often hear that song at funeral services. And uh, you're aware, but uh, sometime this weekend over the Memorial Day holiday weekend, uh, the United States is going to surpass 100,000 deaths from the COVID-19 um, just in the U.S. alone. Now, of course, that's a bit of an arbitrary number of the count. It's probably an undercount anyway, but it seems at least symbolic uh, insignificance for us. Of course, there are many more people that have died around the world, over 330,000. But one of the things that I think is missing in the conversation about coronavirus that I'm hearing and seeing like you are is just a lack of mourning and a lack of paying attention to the fact that so many people have suffered and so many people have died. And so I want us to take a moment this morning and uh, I want us just to observe 100 seconds of silence. I'm going to set a timer um, just to just to take a moment and pause and think about all the people in our country and around the world who have died already um, from this virus. Pause for a moment and then we'll pray. Jesus, we take a moment this morning to lift up to you all the families in our country and around the world who have lost loved ones from the coronavirus. Over 100,000 people in our country alone have now died from this 
It was 100,000 families who were sad, 100,000 families that are in mourning. Jesus said, you said, blessed are those who are mourned, for they will be comforted. We ask that your words be true for those families today. We ask you to comfort them with your presence. Be near them. Surround them with friends and family and loved ones, even as we distance from each other. We can love on them and speak comfort into their hearts and into their lives. Lord, we pray that a, a, a sense of, of mourning and loss would attend our conversations as we discuss all of these things with coronavirus, that we would not lose sight of the real humans who are really suffering and who really died and are dying from this. Lord, have mercy. Have mercy on those who are sick. Have mercy on the families that have lost loved ones. Have mercy on those who are still struggling with this. We lift them up and we ask for your grace for them and for us. Amen. Thanks for joining us this morning on the live stream. If you're not familiar with our church, uh, I'm Mike Rayburn. I'm the lead pastor of Gainesville Vineyard in Gainesville, Florida. And I've got a couple of announcements, and then I'll get into our message. The first announcement is that uh, our lead team met last Sunday over a Zoom call, and we decided to continue doing what we're doing here, live streaming our services only through the month of June. So there will be no in-person gatherings for Gainesville Vineyard uh, in the rest of the month of May or at all in the month of June. We're making these decisions on a month-to-month -month basis, so we'll meet sometime in July over Zoom. In, we'll meet in June over Zoom to figure out what we're doing for July, depending on how things are going uh, then. But for the month of June, we are encouraging everyone to uh, stay home as much as possible. Uh, we're praying for those who have to go into work physically, who can't work from home, and we're just asking everyone to stay safe. And we're also inviting all of our folks and anyone who wants to, to join one of our stay-home groups. We have a number of stay-home groups that are meeting over Zoom weekly and it's just like a good old-fashioned vineyard classic home group. I'm throwing in all the words there. Um, just a time to connect with each other, to listen to each other, to pray together, pray for each other, uh, to study things together. So there's been some really good content that are uh, coming from those and really good connection time. I think one of them is going to start a video series with Walter Bergman, which is really exciting. So if you're not engaged in one of those stay-home groups, I would encourage you to do so. Uh, send me an email uh, right there on the screen and I can give you more information on that. Uh, the only other announcement I have is uh, giving. Uh, appreciate everyone who is faithful to give to our church. We are still in business. The church is not a building, but we do have to pay for our building. Um, and we appreciate everyone who is continuing to give faithfully to our congregation. If you want to give with your phone, you can text the word give to that number. If you want to go online, you might be at our website now, you can click on the Give button on our website and give that way. You can also mail checks to P.O. Box 358117 here in Gainesville and give your, uh, your giving that way. So we appreciate all that you're doing. We are still uh, in business. We're still making plans. We bought a bus. If you haven't seen that yet, you should go on my Facebook page and check out our bus. It is uh, lovely, and I'm so excited about it. So those are all the announcements I have for today, and I'm really glad you're here. This is a series that we've been in since Easter. We're looking at the things Jesus did 
between the resurrection and the ascension. Now, I know that churches that follow the liturgical calendar are celebrating Ascension Sunday today because next Sunday is Pentecost Sunday. Well, we're going we're gonna to wrap Ascension and Pentecost together next Sunday because we don't follow the calendar um, necessarily, although uh, we're not saying that you can't, um, but we don't. But I have one more story in this series that I'm really excited about. We'll, we'll wrap up the series next week with another teaching about the, uh, the Great Commissionings. Uh, Jesus says a couple of different things in different places about the sending and, the, and whatnot. Um, but we're talking today about Peter. So for the last three weeks of this series, we've zeroed in on how Jesus interacted with specific people. Two weeks ago, we talked about Mary. And Amy came in with me and that we had a really good conversation. And last week, we talked about Thomas who is unfairly called Doubting Thomas uh, by the church, uh, when he's really honest Thomas, when he's Thomas who speaks the truth when others don't, and how Jesus interacted personally with Thomas. And today I want to talk about how Jesus interacted personally with Peter. So I want to read this text to you from John 21. And this, again, is one of my favorite stories. The, the end of John is just a tour de force of writing. It's so lovely. So I'm going to start with verse 1 of chapter 21. And I may read the whole thing because I love it that much. After this, Jesus again showed himself to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And this is how he showed himself. There together were Simon Peter and Thomas, called the twin, and Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two other of the disciples. So there are only seven of them there, not the twelve. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, they said to him We're going with you. So they went and manned the ship, and that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus then said to them, Children, have you caught anything to eat? They answered him, No. And he said to them, Cast your net in the waters to the right of the ship, and you will find some. So they cast, and they could no longer pull it in because of the quantity of fish. Then that disciple, whom Jesus loved, said to Peter, It's the Lord. So Simon Peter, when he had heard that it was the Lord, put on his outer clothes, he had been stripped down and threw himself into the sea. And the other disciples came with the boat, for they were not far from the land, but about 300 feet off, dragging the net full of fish. When they came out on the shore, they saw a charcoal fire laid and a small piece of fish placed on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you caught just now. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled ashore the net full of big fish, 153 of them, to be exact, and though there were so many, the net did not break. Jesus said to them, Come to breakfast. Not one of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? For they knew that it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and the fish likewise. This was now the third time since he had risen from the dead that Jesus showed himself to the disciples. When they had had breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter said, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Take care of my little sheep. He said to him for the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because he had asked him for the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my little sheep. Truly, truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you girded yourself up and walked about wherever you wished. 
But when you are old, you will stretch out your and carry you where you do not wish to go. This he said, indicating the kind of death by which Peter was to glorify God. And when he had said this, he told him, Follow me. Peter turned about and saw following them the disciple whom Jesus loved. The very one who was at dinner had leaned back close to the breast of Jesus and said, Lord, which one is your betrayer? So seeing this man, Peter said to Jesus, Lord, what about him? Jesus said to him, If I wish him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Jesus said it just like that, I'm sure of the tongue. Therefore, the story went out among the brothers that 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 one was not to die. But Jesus did not tell him that he was not to die. But if I wish him to remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote this. And we know that his testimony is true. And there are many other things which Jesus did. If they were written down one by one, I do not think the very world could hold all the books that would be written. I absolutely love that. So this, again, is one of my favorite stories. I want to give you a little catch-up on Peter, just in case uh, you're you're not remembering. So let's just short recap on on who Peter is and a bit of Peter's story to, to uh, to give us a setup for what's going on here. So if you remember back... Um, Jesus met Peter when, when Jesus was teaching a large crowd of people by the lake and he wanted to get into a boat and teach from the boat because of the acoustics and the people pressing in on him. So he borrowed Peter's boat. This was before Peter was a follower of Jesus. He asked Peter, can I borrow your boat? And Peter was like, sure, preacher man, you can borrow my boat. So, um, so Peter goes in the boat with him and takes Jesus out and Jesus teaches from the lake and then Peter is just gobsmacked by this teaching like everyone else's powerful teaching from this unknown rabbi. And in verse 8 of Luke 5, Peter says, Lord, get away from me. I am a sinful man. I, I can't even be around you. That was the first interaction between Jesus and Peter. And then Jesus came back along and said, hey, be one of my followers. Follow me. And Peter left his boat, left his business, and followed Jesus. So that's how the whole thing started. Very dramatic, very lovely. And Jesus, Peter was the first one to say to Jesus, you're the Messiah. In Matthew 16, the famous passage, you know, Jesus says, who does everyone say I am? And they're like, well, Elijah or, or one of the prophets or John the Baptist back from the dead. And then Jesus says, well, well, who do you say that I am? And the rest of them all kind of look at each other. And Peter says, you're the Messiah. You're the son of God. And Jesus says, that's right. The spirit has revealed this to you. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, Peter. You're blessed because the spirit has revealed this to you. And there's another story where Jesus, you know, stays back to pray and sends the disciples on ahead in a boat. And then he comes walking on the water. You know this story. And they're all freaking out because they think it's a ghost. And Jesus says, it's not a ghost, it's me. And Peter says, if it's you, tell me to come out there. And Jesus says, come on. And so Peter walks on the water with Jesus. Now, he sinks after a minute because, I mean, come on. Have you ever tried to walk on water? It's not that easy. Um... But note this, none of the other disciples even get out of the boat. None of the rest of them even ask. They just watch while Jesus and Peter are, you know, sauntering across the water. I think I might not have been first, but I might have been like, hey, can I get in on some of that action? But they don't. So Peter, he's one of Jesus' core followers. In fact, he's one of the inner circle. Peter, James, and John have experiences that the rest of the followers don't have. 
Um, they're the three that Jesus brings into the room with him when he raises Tabitha from the dead in Luke 8. Uh, they're the three that Jesus takes to the mountain when he uh, has the transfiguration. They get to see that. No one else gets to see that. And they're the three that Jesus says in the Gethsemane Garden, hey, you three, come over here with me uh, in private and pray, pray with me. Will you, will you pray with me for a while? So those are some serious highlights for Peter as a follower of Jesus. Now, there are some lowlights as well. <laughs> and interestingly enough, the lowlights often tagged right along with the highlights. So right after the big Messiah reveal moment, when, when Peter says, you're the Messiah, and Jesus says, yes, you know, you're blessed because the Spirit has revealed this to you. Then Jesus starts to explain how he's going to go to Jerusalem and they're going to execute him. And Peter's like, rebuking Jesus. Peter may be the only follower of Jesus to ever rebuke Jesus. That's not true. If you've ever prayed honestly, you've done the same thing. Um, but Peter rebukes Jesus to his face and says, you're not going to stop talking that crazy talk. And Jesus literally says, get thee behind me, Satan. you got to say it in the King James to get that oomph on it. So seven verses after Jesus says, you're blessed because the Spirit has revealed this to you, Jesus calls him Satan. So there's that. Um, then at the transfiguration, this is a wonderful, beautiful moment. And what does Peter do? He just starts running off with the mouth, saying all this dumb stuff. Um, so that's kind of ruins that moment a bit. And then uh, at the, the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus says, hey, come pray with me, does he pray with him? No, he falls asleep. So three times Jesus comes back, are you asleep again? Why? I just Can you pray with me for like an hour? They're about to kill me. Can you just not fall asleep? And actually, no, he can't not fall asleep. And then, of course, the one we read a few weeks ago, um, when Jesus is washing the, the feet of the disciples in John 13, Peter's like, you are never washing my feet. He goes all Taylor Swift, you are never, ever, ever washing my feet. And then Jesus says, well, if I don't wash your feet, you can't be part of me. And then Peter's like, all right, give me a bath. I'm here for it. Give me, give me a whole bath. So there's a pattern of highs and lows uh, with Peter. And all that culminates... Uh, of course, in him denying Jesus three times. And this is in John 13. Listen to this. In John 13, verse 36, uh, Peter asked, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus said, you can't go with me now, but you will follow me later. Peter replied, but why can't I come with you now, Lord? I'm ready to die for you. Jesus answered, die for me? I tell you the truth, Peter. Before the rooster crows in the morning, you'll deny three times that you even know me. So there's that. And it happened just like Jesus said. Uh, Jesus gets arrested, he gets taken, and then Peter is standing outside by the fire, not unlike the fire that Jesus is cooking his breakfast on in our story, um, and denies three times, uh, once to a young girl and twice to other servants, that he even knows who this Jesus guy is. And in other Gospels it says he calls down curses on himself. He's pretty, um, he's pretty adamant that he doesn't know this Jesus guy. And then he goes out and he weeps bitterly because he's so upset with himself. So that's the context for this story. So the context for the story is all that set up, especially Peter saying, I'm ready to die for you. And actually, no, I'm not, I'm going to pretend I don't even know you. That's a really hard swing for Peter. Now, Jesus has appeared to him after the resurrection a couple of times. He's kind of given him some marching orders at the end of John 20. And then where our chapter starts, Peter's like, I'm going fishing. I'm, I'm just going back to work. I'm going fishing. Now, some commentators, and you may have heard some sermons, uh, preach this as Peter doing something wrong. But there's nothing in our text here to indicate that Peter's doing anything wrong by going fishing. There's nothing wrong with going fishing. 
kind of get an amen from Elijah Henderson. There's nothing wrong with going fishing. Fishing is a good thing. There's nothing wrong with going back to work. Uh, you got to eat. They're just sitting around doing nothing, kind of like a lot of us with this whole coronavirus thing. So if it's right and appropriate and safe to go back to work, there's nothing wrong with going back to work. Jesus does not at any point rebuke Peter for going fishing. Just the opposite. Jesus blesses their fishing in a couple of ways that I'll mention in just a second. Um, but I do want to at least acknowledge that they fish all night and they don't catch anything. Now, that happens sometimes. If you've never gone fishing and not caught anything, let me tell you, it's pretty frustrating. If you've never been in a boat with a partner like your dad and he's up there catching fish left and right and you're, you know, 10 feet away catching nothing, like are we fishing the same body of water because are we using the same lures out of what's going on here? It can be really frustrating. You know, of course, a bad day at the lake is better than a good day at the office and all that. Uh, But it's pretty frustrating to not catch any fish. And I can only imagine that if you're a professional fisherman, this is your job. It's really frustrating to be doing your job and to be doing a bad job at it. So Peter's in a real funk here. He's having a hard time. He has denied Jesus. He doesn't know what's happening. I mean, the resurrection has happened, but what's going on with all that? He doesn't know where his future lies. He's gone out fishing. It's not gone well. He's fished all night and caught nothing. And then Jesus shows up. And he's like, hey, try the other side of the boat. Novel idea. Uh, But it works. And they catch all this fish. And so the first thing we see in our story is that Jesus blesses his work. Jesus gives him some success at his job. Like, here you go. Let me give you this. And then when they get to shore, Jesus is cooking them breakfast. He's got a loaf of bread and he's got one fish. But Jesus says, hey, bring the fish you've got. Jesus integrates what they've been doing. He makes use of the work they've been doing. Far from dishonoring Peter's fishing, he blesses him with fish. And then he invites him to bring the fish in as part of the meal. And this is not just any meal. It's really clear from the text that this is like a communion-style meal. They're breaking bread together, kind of like the Emmaus Road story we read a few weeks ago in Luke. This is a significant meal, a sharing of bread and and fish and wine, uh, like we're going to do here in a minute for communion. So if you don't have have something to eat and drink, go ahead and be grabbing that now. Um, And so Jesus takes his work. And, and makes it sacred, makes it part of the most sacred right that we have as Christians. So uh, I don't want you to see this as any sort of um, negative statement about Peter going fishing. It's, it's actually quite the opposite. Jesus is blessing his work and integrating Peter's work into the kingdom work, into Jesus's work. So I think that's a really beautiful uh, thing there. The, the, the central part of this story, though, of course, is Jesus asking Peter three times, do you love me? And Peter's saying three times, yeah, I love you. Um, And there's, in the Greek, a little bit more to this. And you know I'm always shy about using the Greek. And and I'll confess here in in a second, even a little bit more reticence, and then I'm going to just plant my flag on it. But let me explain to you what's going on here, first of all. There there are a number of words in Greek uh, that get translated as love, because we only have one word. And the two words that are in play here are agape uh, and, and phileo. And agape typically means unconditional love, uh, it's by some considered a higher form of love, like the love God has for people. Um, it's, a, it's a magnanimous love. It's not a love looking for any sort of return. Um, phileo love is a brotherly love. It's affection. It's, it's a really strong like. It doesn't have any sexual connotation, um, but it is conditional. Like you could, if, if you agape love someone, there's nothing they can do to make you unlove them. 
if you flat out love somebody, there's a possibility that they could break that relationship in such a way that you would no longer love them. That seems to be the consensus on what those words at least meant at some point in the history of that language. Now, modern scholars will tell you that in the fourth gospel, uh, the writer uses these words interchangeably, and there's no significance to the difference in use. It's just stylistic variation, how we don't like to use the same word over and over again. We like to mix it up to sound like we're not you know, being uh, monotonous or in a rut. Um, that's what modern scholars will tell you. But I'm here to tell you that's that's true. If you read that, you'll see that that's there. I completely disagree. I disagree with, with modern scholarship on this uh, 100%. I think the fourth gospel is the most intentional, most poetic document of the entire New Testament. I don't think there's any randomness or any insignificance here at all. Uh, the writer has chosen to use different words, and I think there has to be a reason. Now... I'm conjecturing on my reason here, but I do have some early church fathers that would agree with me, and so I'm going to roll with it. So what happens here is Jesus says, Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me unconditionally? And Peter says, well, I follow you. I, I love you like a friend, like a brotherly love, but it's not unconditional. And Jesus says, feed my lambs. And the feeding my lambs part we're not even going to talk about today. Um, and then Jesus says a second time, do you agape unconditionally love me. And Peter says, I conditionally love you. I, I love you like a friend. And then the third time, Jesus, dis and the way I'm narrating, interpreting this, Jesus condescends to Peter's language and says, okay, Peter, do you at least phileo, brotherly, conditionally love me? And then Peter's hurt. I think he's hurt um, for two reasons. One, because Jesus has done this three times, which is echoing the three denials that Jesus told him he was going to do and that he in fact did. And Peter is still carrying that burden. Uh, and also because Jesus has, has brought his love language down to match Peter's love language. Uh, and Peter stays with it. Jesus says, do you love me the third time? And Peter's like, yeah, you know everything. You know that I love you. And that's, that's at least actually what happens. And here's what I think this means. I think Peter has reached a point where he no longer trusts himself where he no longer trusts these things he said. Um, I, I had you discuss in the Facebook room this old Bo Diddley saying, don't let your mouth write a check that your tail can't cash. I think Peter has done that uh, more than once, as we see in earlier gospel stories. And this last one where he said, like, I'm ready to die for you. And then he denies Jesus three times. I, I think, you know, lying to a kid in the process that he even knew who Jesus was, like an hour after he had said it, th that hurts. He is done. He's not writing any more checks with his mouth that his tail can't cash. He won't say that he loves Jesus unconditionally because he doesn't trust himself. He no longer thinks he's capable of loving Jesus like that. I think that's where Peter is. Uh, I don't think I'm stretching too far or on too far of a limb to say that. And I think the change of the words for love here uh, supports that reading. Uh, and I think there are other things to support that reading as well. But I think that's where Peter is. He's had this relationship with Jesus. It's had some serious highs. It's had some serious lows. But now he just doesn't know where things go from here. He doesn't trust himself. He doesn't trust the relationship. He's not going to promise anything. He's not going to put himself out there at all. Um, that's where he is, I think. And I want you to notice what Jesus does. He meets Peter where Peter is. But Jesus basically says, well, do you like me? And Peter's like, well, yeah, I like you. And she's like, okay, well, that's enough. That's enough. 
And then Jesus goes a step further than that. And this is what I think is so beautiful about it. Um, he goes on to tell Peter how Peter's going to die. He basically tells Peter, you're going to be crucified one day. You are going to die, and you're going to die just like me. They're going to hang you on a cross just like they hung me on a cross. And church tradition tells us this is exactly what happened with the caveat that Peter insisted that they hang him upside down because he refused to be crucified just like his Lord was. He wanted to at least acknowledge that he was lower than his Lord, which is just a beautiful story. Um, Peter knows at that point how he's going to die. And I think this is Jesus saying, look, Peter, that check that your mouth wrote, I know you're good for it. I, I know you meant it when you said it. The denial thing doesn't negate that. Both can be true at the same time. And, and I just have to think that for the rest of his life, Peter walked around with this knowledge that yeah, he, he had that check that he wrote and he was going to cash it someday and he was good for it. And I think it gave him courage to do a lot of the things he did. Now, he still messed up some other times. There's still a lot to learn from Peter's highs and lows even after this. Uh, but I think that's enough for us to go on with this morning. So how does this relate to us? Um, two weeks ago when Amy and I talked about Mary... It was so beautiful to think about Mary uh, being the one who was in love with Jesus and 100% in when no one else was. And I wonder then how many of you listening were like, I identify with that. That's me. I'm Mary. I love Jesus and I'm here for it. And I also wondered how many of you were like, yeah, I used to be there, but I'm, I'm not there anymore. I, I remember that. I remember feeling that way you know, when I first started or when I was younger or when I first came to faith or, or, or at some significant point, you know, like I was raised in church my whole life, but my real conversion happened right before I turned 19 in 1989. And at that moment, I really fell in love with Jesus. And I was really in a merry spot that lasted for a while, but it didn't last forever. Um, it didn't last forever. And, and then last week I talked about Thomas, and I didn't have a guest last week intentionally because expressing doubt or admitting that you're questioning your faith or questioning anything can be a real um, bugaboo for some folks. And I didn't want to make anyone out themselves if they weren't ready to talk about it. Uh, it can be really uncomfortable culturally for us, which is un unfortunate. Um, but maybe you're where Thomas is. And several of you reached out to me this week privately and said, yeah, that really helped me. That's where I'm at. That's where I've been. It feels so good for someone to say, it's okay to be there. It's okay to ask those questions. Jesus honors those questions. And the same thing for today, I don't have anyone here with me because talking about our failures, especially our failures in faith, especially times when maybe we failed Jesus or failed to live up to our own expectations for our own walk of faith is really uncomfortable. And I wouldn't ask anyone to do that over the internet. That's not fair. Um, but I wonder how many of you can identify with where Peter was at this moment. This ride with Jesus has had its highs, it's had its lows, and maybe now you don't know what to do except go fishing. And then you don't catch anything and you're just stuck and frustrated. So what I want us to do is pay attention really close this morning to what Jesus did for Peter. Because what Jesus did for Peter in this moment is what Jesus wants to do for us when we're in a similar situation. First of all, Jesus meets us where we are. Jesus literally goes to where they're at. They're out fishing, and Jesus comes along the shore right where they're at and participates in what they're doing. Like, hey, you'll catch some fish there. Hey, let's eat the fish that you just cooked. 
Jesus meets Peter right where he is. Peter's like, I can't say that I love you at that level you're asking for. Jesus is like, that's okay. Can you can you say what you want to, what you're willing to say? I'll take that. That's a good place to start. Jesus blesses what Peter's doing. He incorporates what Peter's doing into what Jesus is doing. And Jesus says the same for us. He meets us where we are. He wants to bless what we're doing. He wants to incorporate what we're doing into what he's doing. I can't imagine anyone who's watching this who's in a life place where what you're doing is just completely incompatible with the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. I mean, I suppose you could be doing something nefarious and then you should just stop. But most of you are doing good work. And it's work that Jesus can use to feed you and other people, both literally and spiritually. The kingdom of God can come in a variety of ways in a variety of contexts. And every person you interact with at your work, and, and even the work itself that you're doing, can be life-giving and work that's blessing to other people when we do it that way. And Jesus is always wanting to participate in that and make it better even than it already is. So Jesus comes and blesses all of that for us. I also want to remind you that Jesus remembers and honors the promises that we've made. That zealous period when you were in your Mary phase, um, Jesus hasn't forgotten that. You might not be there anymore. You might not be as sure of things as you were, but the things that you were sure of, the feelings that you felt, those were real. Now, that doesn't mean you don't deepen and grow. Of course you deepen and grow. You question everything, hopefully, with Thomas. But living in that Thomas mode is not incompatible with living in that Mary mode. And that's what Jesus comes with Peter and says, yeah, I can incorporate all of that together. None of that is lost. None of that gets wasted. None of our failures are unredeemable. Jesus restored Peter with love, with kindness, with gentleness. And Jesus does the same for us. He takes us right where we are, and he honors where we are. He listens to what we say. He dialogues with us and restores us. Because the condemnation that we're feeling the, the failure that weighs on top of us is not coming from Jesus. It's coming from us. I mean, Jesus knew Peter was going to deny him before Peter knew. Jesus didn't tell Peter that to shame him. I mean, he might have told him to shut him up a little bit because, like, I'm about to go get killed. Can you just knock it off? Um, but he tells Peter that so that Peter will know when it happens. Yeah, I knew this was going to happen. Jesus tells Peter that in John 13, so Jesus can bring the healing that Peter needs here in John 21. And he does the same thing for us. So I would encourage you to, to go back and remember, what are the things Jesus said to you that you were sure Jesus said to you? I don't mean a sermon you heard. I don't mean a conference you went to. I mean a moment where you felt the Lord speak to you directly. Can you remember what those were? Can Jesus remind you of how those were life-giving then and can be life-giving now? Can you hear what Jesus is saying to you now? Because he's not saying anything condemning or punishing or belittling. He's saying, hey, let's have breakfast. Bring, bring what you've got. I want some of that. What you've got, what you're doing, I can make that my body that can bless you and other people. So that's my message for today. Oh, and one more thing. At the very end, Peter, being Peter, this great high moment when Jesus is restoring him, he starts getting nosy because, I mean, 
of course he did. And it's like, what about that guy, Lord? And this is maybe the most important thing any Christian can read in all of Scripture, where Jesus essentially says, hey, mind your own business. What, what I have for that person, that's none of your business. You follow me. You don't worry about that. Don't worry about them. We could get a whole lot further in this kingdom walk if we would do that. So that's just a little PS. So let's take communion. I hope you've got something to eat and something to drink with you. What I have, and and I, I had something else, and then I felt like the Lord like tugged me to do this. This is the last bite of bagel that Jackson left uh, from breakfast this morning. And I'm going to take that as the body of Christ because nothing gets lost. Nothing gets wasted. Nothing from your walk in faith, all the highs and all the lows, none of it was for naught. None of it gets wasted. None of it gets lost. None of it is used to shame you. Jesus uses all of it to honor you and to love you and to move you forward in faith. So I hope you'll take whatever you've got. I hope it's not a leftover bit of bagel. Maybe it's something better. And take this. This is the body of Jesus when you take it. And when you take it, I want you to say, nothing gets lost. This is my own drink. This is not leftover drink. Jesus pours out his blood for us to show us that he loves us and that he loves us right where we are. He comes to Peter right here by the lake and cooks him breakfast and has this most gentle of conversations with him to show Peter I love you right where you are. And Jesus does that for us. And so I'm praying that sometime today, this week, that if you're in this Peter spot, if you feel stuck, if you've gone through your Thomas phase or or worse, if you're not sure about your faith at all, you're not sure about this relationship with Jesus, that Jesus could come close to you and speak to you the way he spoke to Peter. Jesus could let you know that he loves you right where you are. So this is the cup. This is the cup of loving us right where we are. So say with me, you love us where we are and take the body of Christ. You love us where we are. In closing, I just want to say that when I first thought doing this series, this message was literally the first thought I had. And so I'm not exactly sure who this is for, but I feel like this is for one or a handful of people specifically. So if this is for you specifically and you want to process this further, please get in contact with me. You can uh, you can email me, you can send me a text, you can message me on Facebook. However, uh, I don't know who you are. I don't. I, I didn't get names like that for this. So it's, it's the onus is on you and you don't have to. But if you want to, if you feel a need to process this further, I would love to have a conversation with you. So I'm going to say a quick prayer, and then I'm going to turn off the feed and let you go about your day. Jesus, I thank you so much that you love us the way you loved Peter, with all gentleness, with all kindness, right where we are, that our highs don't impress you and our lows don't freak you out, that you bring all of it together for our best good, which brings your best glory. I pray for my sisters and my brothers who are watching this 
who might be in a similar place to Peter. They feel like they failed. They feel like the church has failed them. They feel like the whole thing has just not lived up to how they felt when they were at a merry moment. Lord, I pray that you would come to them close. You would honor how they feel, honor what they think. You would remind them of the things that they said, the things that they knew were true, and that you would deepen and renew and restore each of us with your wonderful, powerful, gentle love. I pray anyone who needs to reach out to process this would have the courage to do so. We would be able to trust in your gentleness and in my gentleness to love and care for them all the way through this. Thank you for loving us so well, right where we are. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. All right, y'all. I love you. Hope you have a great weekend. Stay safe. And I will see you when I see you. Hopefully on a Zoom call this week or something. Anyway, I love you. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to the Gainesville Vineyard Podcast. For more information about our church and community center, including our food pantry, life skills training, legal aid, after-school and sports programs, and international missions, and how to contact us, visit GainesvilleVineyard.org or find us on Facebook. Our page name is GN Vineyard. We also have original worship songs available on iTunes. Just search for Gainesville Vineyard. You can support the work we're doing by texting the word GIVE to 352-562-7771. All donations are tax-deductible. We appreciate you listening to this message and pray the Spirit speaks directly to you through something you've heard today. God bless.